You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the In the Dome podcast. Okay, a very cool guest just had on, Kevin Woodley. Go ahead, introduce this guy. Kevin Woodley, he is an author and co-owner of In Goal Magazine, which is like a really cool resource and website for all things goaltending. I mean, if you're a young goaltender, go check it out. Um, but he writes for NHL.com. He's from Vancouver. He has a lot of really in-depth knowledge on Jacob Markstrom and the Vancouver Canucks goaltending. So we wanted to have him on, just talk goaltending. They have a lot of really interesting stuff he got into just on like proprietary analytics and stuff that we as fans may not, may not know about Markstrom is really interesting now. Yeah. Um, Well, we won't, maybe, maybe we won't spoil it, but very cool where Markstrom stands in one of the, one of the analytics departments, he'll go over in the, in the, in the podcast, but good news for Flames fans. Um, Yeah. Very cool. Very cool guy. Obviously nerds out with the, with the, you know, analytics for goaltending technicality, the technicalities. Yeah. I kind of glaze over a couple of times with, the guy not not following but it was yeah it was interesting i had to like yeah i really had to think hard about because he was talking about how markstrom specifically plays um and and riddick too like on the posts and stuff that was really interesting yeah a couple a lot of cool comparisons so anyways um if if you guys want a cool insight on jacob markstrom and some of the the things we can expect to see from his game um from a calgary flames perspective some of the um, strengths and weaknesses, as well as, like we just mentioned, some of the more technicality type stuff that you're going to see. Um, here is the interview with Kevin Woodley. All right, guys, we got we're super excited. We got a guest joining us today. Uh, Kevin Woodley writes for In Goal Magazine, writes for NHL.com. Uh, Vancouver, are you from Vancouver? I was born in Whitehorse, Yukon, but yeah, Vancouver's been, home. Vancouver's been home for a long time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right from the Yukon. Yeah. Super excited to, to get into some goalie stuff today. Um, I get, you know, like, I guess we'll start with Jacob Markstrom. It's, it's such an, it's such an interesting one for a flame from a flames perspective, because it's been such a revolving door of guys. We had Mike Smith, we had Cam Talbot, we've had David Riddick, we've had Brian Elliott, we've had Reed O'Bara, we've had like all these different guys. What was your initial reaction to the signing of Markstrom, I think, with the Flames? And um, do, does he improve? The, the, I think the biggest question is, does he improve this team in the way that we're hoping he improves this team? Well, first reaction wasn't shock um, because I knew that Calgary was one of the teams as far back as coming out of the playoff bubble that there, I knew that he was at the top of their free agent list. 
And I knew that the Canucks were not going where he wanted or needed them to go contract wise. And as a matter of fact, and, you know, as good as his relationship was with the goaltending coach here in terms of having turned around this career and getting him to this point, um, management had lowballed him in the past with offers, including the beginning of last season, um, that I think it would have been easier for him to come back here based on the relationships in the room, based on the relationship with the goaltending coach, based on where his game had come to and next steps that they hoped to take together. But the combination of the gap between what they were willing to offer added to sort of, I don't want to say insult, but bordered on insult early offer to him made it a real easy decision to leave. And I knew there was interest from Calgary. Um, I like the fits for a lot of reasons. Uh, including statistically, um, you know, I know that there are public data analytics that sort of paint Markstrom in a just, you know, outside of the top 10, uh, above league average, but not exceptional. Uh, I don't use those. I have access to ClearSight analytics from Stephen Valaket, which is, you know, I get to look under the hood and look at the stats that he uses. Um, he has NHL teams. Uh, actually, I don't know what the total number is right now, but it's increased significantly in the last little while that use his analytics. They measure 34 points of data. To me, they add context to shot quality more than anything else I've ever seen. And not that the, the people doing work with public analytics are amazing. I just am not, I don't trust the information as much, or it doesn't have the context. Let's put it that way. So using that context with the clear sight numbers, Jacob Markstrom wasn't just above average. He was number one in the NHL over the past two seasons combined in terms of goal saves. Oh. So that's, you know, like right away, you're like, that's why there was this interest. Um, there was another team, I won't say which one, that, that asked ClearSight to plug him into their system. Like, here's how he fares on these types of shots. He, here's how many of these types of shots we give up. Do the math on it. Save them 50 goals. Oh, five zero in one season. And so um, I do believe he's in that tier and worthy of that money. Now, term, hey, how long it lasts? He's 30 years old. We'll see what this looks like in four years. I know the Canucks believe he could be a play at this level till he was 35. So it's not like, you know, they weren't expecting the bottom to fall out in the next couple of years, and they know him better than anyone. Um, the other thing I liked for Calgary in terms of this fit was I believe in horses for courses to a certain extent, to, to borrow the golf term when it comes to goaltending. There are fits of style and strength with system. Uh, not every goalie is going to have success playing behind every team or behind every system. And when I looked at the numbers for Jacob, I had one fear left for him as a goaltender. And it's not that he couldn't do this or handle this. It's that I hadn't seen him have to for a long time. And, and, and so, again, you're not saying uh, this is a problem, but you're saying this is a question that hasn't been answered. And before I invest $36 million, I'd like to have it answered. What does Jacob Markstrom look like behind a team that doesn't give up a lot of shots? And let's put it this way. I don't think he would have had success or I would have been worried about success if Bill Peters was still the coach of the Calgary Flames because they took away um, under Peters' system, same as he did in Carolina, a lot of the outside easy shots, low-quality shots. Um, and goalies rely on that to varying degrees to feel the puck to feel good about themselves. Now, the one thing about Markstrom here in Vancouver, when I talk about his numbers and how that when you add shot quality to them, how well he grades out is 
it's not just the high danger chances and the tough chances that he was good at. As a matter of fact, he was above average in medium danger chances. He was above average in high danger chances, but he wasn't at the top of the league. Where he really separated himself the past two seasons was the low danger chances. He did not give up bad goals, which interestingly enough, before he started, came here and started working with Ian Clark was all he did. That was the biggest knock against him. But for the past two seasons, he hasn't. And this season, he didn't, not a single clear sight goal. So the Canucks were a team that were not great defensively, and they did give up a lot of high danger. They also just gave up a ton of volume. And there were a lot of nights where their coach at the end of it would say, hey, that we gave up a lot. Yeah, but it was a lot of it was from the outside. And he wasn't wrong. He maybe, maybe glossed over the 14 great A's they gave up in the middle of the slot, but they'd also give up a lot from the outside. And I believe that fit Jacob's game perfectly, allowed him to find and feel his way into games with those shots and feel good about his game so that he was on top of the tougher chances. Well, there are only a few teams in the NHL that gave up more low danger chances than the Vancouver Canucks and the Calgary Flames were among them. So uh, in terms of what he is as a goaltender, in terms of how he fits with the Flames, uh, there are a lot of positives for Jacob Markstrom coming to Calgary. You guys didn't know you were only going to have to ask ask one question and get a 20 minute answer. I right? like this is podcast was, done. See you later. That was great. That was awesome. Well, I did want to just quickly touch on the clear set analytics because I'm looking at the data that they have on their website right now. And it is interesting, right? Like Jacob um, had the highest, he, he ranks in the top five last year in terms of plus minus differential by their model. Um, so that, that is really interesting. And I mean, what you're talking about the low danger chances and under Bill Peters, um, do you see like in turn, I don't know how much you know about like how Jeff Ward is planning to roll out this team, but, um, how, how do you see Jacob Markstrom fitting into Jeff Ward's system? Is that, is that something that notably changed after Bill Peters left? You mentioned it. I, th- I think it probably was. No, I, I can be honest. I didn't do a compare contrast in terms of what those numbers look like. I just know at the end of the year, what they look like fit very much the strength of Jacob Marshall. Yeah, okay. So that's where I saw that fit. And the Peter's anecdote was more from, you know, having conversations even with Bill when he was in Carolina and his right. answer, and it was fair enough was, what do you want me to do? Like, just let them shoot from out there. Like that, it's just the way his system was. And Carolina goalies used to tell me this all the time, right? Like we, we, we get tired of watching our team warm up the other goalie. Like they would, you know, they would be, go down to the other end and throw what we in the goalie world called 99 percenters. Like yep. you're, you're stopping them 99% of the time. And, and the, the hurricanes were famous for controlling Corsi and controlling that side of it, but not, not having the results. And part of it, at least from a goalie perspective was they're like, yeah, we'd go down there and we warm up the other guy for five minutes. I wouldn't see a puck. We'd block everything. And then when we made a mistake after having him in their own zone, my first shot in seven minutes was a two on one. Right. Obviously that's, you know, that's a little bit of hyperbole mixed in there, but the stats bore it out to a certain degree that that was part of the challenge. And I've written about this over the years. Like most people from the outside are like, ah, less shots is better for a goalie, right? Yeah. To an extent you're, yeah, I get it. You're making a goalie's life easier. You talk to any goaltender in the national hockey league about how tough it is to play behind a team where expectations are high and shots are low. Like, you need to feel the puck to varying degrees. Not everyone's like this. Curtis Joseph is the perfect example, right? Look at the guy. He probably should be in the Hall of Fame, right? Goes to the Red Wings after all those years of like just standing on his head behind crappy defensive teams. Yep. The Oilers, the Blues. Goes, goes to Detroit. Expectations to win a cup in a team that controls everything, dominates, like full of Hall of Famers. I remember walking in that locker room and it'd be like, yeah, there's the defenseman over there. That's a future wing of the Hall of Fame. There's the forwards. There's another wing of the Hall of Fame in 10 years, right? Like, it was crazy. 
Kujo couldn't play behind that team. He needed yeah. to be busy. And the, to varying degrees, that, that still, you know, impacts a lot of goaltenders. And Peter's system in Carolina and early in Calgary, I call it when he went there, um, looked easy from a statistical standpoint for the goaltenders. And goalies always got the blame. Um, but you had to have the right goaltender to handle that low shot mindset and the challenges between the years that come with it because they're real. Can you tell us, do you know how much these um, NHL general managers and coachings rely on these analytics? I know the analytics is it's coming along to an extent where nobody can really, you know, be involved in the game without taking the time and invest and learning it. I'm just kind of curious because um, what you're telling us is awesome information. I'm just curious how much the, the coaching staff and the, the general management team utilize and rely on this information. That's a varying degrees. I think everybody does. Most of them have their own staff to interpret because there's lots of different companies. ClearSight's not the only one, right? Like um, the sports logic, uh, staff leads. Like there's lots of different companies that do this work. And, you know, they have different teams that listen to them at different levels. And most teams have their own people interpreting all that data and providing that advice. And then different coaches and general managers listen to it, at, you know, in, again, at different levels and, and in different conversations. Um, I don't know where the flames fit on that spectrum in terms of, you know, I don't know if they're a clear sight team, actually, to be honest with you, if I did, I'm not sure I'm allowed to share that. I, um, so, yeah. you know, I, I can't tell you. Um, all I know is that when I got to look under the hood and really dive into those, and you're talking about, you know, 34 different types of data per shot. And I, I can't remember what, like, I think there's 27 different types of scoring chances. And so you're comparing them, like how this guy fares on this type of chance and does the, are the things that he does well historically. And when I say historically for Jacob, it really is the last two years because his game changed dramatically here in Vancouver. So the last two years are the things he does well, the shots he does well against are these things that the flames give up a lot or less of. And there's a match there. And it wasn't the case in, you know, like there are other examples around the league. I don't I didn't pull the numbers up for our conversation today, but there are a few others where I'm like, um, wow, like this guy is brutal on these chances. And the team that just signed him leads the league in giving up those types of chances. So either they learn how to defend different, he learns how to play it different, or this is a recipe for disaster. I would think that most teams would want that information before committing to those types of contracts, yeah. but not everyone uses them at the same level. Well, it's a really interesting perspective because as a Flames fan for the past two, three years, even going back further, if you look at the elimination and when we got swept by the Ducks, but it seems to be that those low quality chances that the goalie allows in have just been backbreakers, um, you know, in big games and small games throughout the season with even Riddick, that was kind of his knock last year, Mike Smith before that, Elliot before that. Um, so it's an interesting perspective if you're looking at Mark from being able to, to combat that. Well, I'll give you a stat because, you know, like at the end of the day, you know, we hear a lot about big saves and big moments and key saves. And, and I think a lot of analytics, analytics people, no matter what company you work for or whether you're in public or private data, tell you like there's just saves, right? Like there is no like key moments or key times or things like that. But here's a stat that kind of tells you how you use the word backbreaking, uh, those numbers can be. When you give up a clear sight, low danger chance goal, when you give up one of those shots goes in the net, your team loses the game 87% of the time unless the goalie at the other end reciprocates and gives wow. up one himself. Yeah. Yeah. 
So and, it matters. And that's, yeah, right? that's something that you that, that passes the eye test too, right? Like you, it just seems that you, you, there's no room for that. Like you can't. And then I'll give you another one on David Riddick. And I think, you know, like Riddick was found money for the Flames, right? I actually wouldn't be surprised to see him have a really strong season and a reduced pressure and yeah. a reduced role. There was a lot. Of, I mean, you know, again, like expectations got high for him. I think they even saw him as a, as a potential future number one because of the progress he made. I know other goalie coaches that saw him that first year in the American League. Guys on other teams. I had somebody, use the, I had somebody make the comparison style-wise to Price. And I was like, oh, come on. But there are other teams that were like, if they hadn't doubled down on him after he came over and signed the short term, if they hadn't re-signed him, there are other teams that were interested. Um, so there were a lot of positives there. Now, the one statistical thing on David that, you know, when you start really rooting through it is um, with ClearSight, obviously, with a lot of these analytics programs, you can sort through based on score. Um, you know, we hear a lot about score effects. And David's numbers went down. Uh, in tight games, up a goal, tied late, things like that. You can break it down by period. And so I don't know if that's a pressure situation, getting comfortable in an increased role and learning how to manage that pressure. I don't know why. Um, but I can tell you watching technically, like it doesn't look like there's a lot of flaws there that would lead to that. So maybe it's just a matter of, again, comfort level. I, I would, I would I actually would be like, I like their tandem this year. Obviously I'm yeah. big on Jacob Markstrom. Um, it'll be adjustment a bit in terms of new voices from the goalie coaching department, things like that. Um, but I, I think Riddich could have a bounce back as well in, in, in a less pressurized role. Yeah. That's kind of how we feel too. I mean, uh, Christopher, Steve, we just had him on. He made a great point of the reason why he thinks that is because David Riddick's the kind of the guy that rides his emotion and you can do that easier in a backup role, right? If you're feeling confident. Um, whereas if you got the number one spot, and you're, you know, if you're not feeling confident for a week or two, it can be devastating. Yeah, no, and um, it's interesting because uh, riding emotion, like, like this is something that Jacob's learned to manage over the years too. Like this guy runs hot, right? Like you will not find a more competitive guy. And he actually, like, I think the Canucks are going to miss him beyond just the fact he stopped pucks at a, at a top level, you know, top five level over the past two years and arguably top level number one in terms of goal saved that metric you guys were mentioning earlier the uh, clear sites plus minus is essentially their goal saved um he's an emotional leader in the locker room like this guy is fiery and competitive and he he hates to lose and so but learning to manifest that self manifest like manage that and and how it manifests itself how you how much of that you show to your teammates how much of that you show outside of how much it's burning in like like you have to learn to manage that over time because it can become a negative if you don't manage it the right way it can be something that spills out in a locker room or onto the ice as a you know a stare down versus you know but this guy over the past couple of years like even on nights where it absolutely is not on him he wears it he wears it not to a fault but to the point where it's like it's like no Jacob like you're full of you're full of it man like that wasn't on you but you keep wearing it you keep owning it um because that's the pressure he feels and that's the pressure he likes to put on himself to be that guy um I think you sort of have to have that mentality to be a goalie at this level and certainly to be a number one like yeah it's on me I've got this boys and when I let you down I'm going to tell everybody in the media that that was my fault even if everybody in the freaking arena can see it wasn't you mentioned, I'm curious, just you mentioned Jacob's game uh, kind of evolved and changed under Ian Clark. Technically, what can we expect in terms of strengths and weaknesses from Markstrom in the net? 
Well, I mean, if you were to do a compare contrast, and it kind of matches um, the bad goals that used to go in that don't anymore. Mm-hmm. His visual habits were were not great before. Um, he would move. He would push to spots on the ice where he thought the puck was going, rather than track it there and beat it to that spot. Um, he changed his stance. Uh, if you watch now when the play is on the perimeter, you'll see him very narrow in his stance. So feet together and very upright, which allows him to use that big massive frame of his to see up and over traffic to find pucks through bodies and to beat plays to his spots. And once you beat plays to your spots, you get there, you know, the pucks there, you can start to gather other visual information. He was behind the play a lot because he didn't lead with eyes. He didn't lead with vision. Vision wasn't the leading component of his game. And part of that ties to stance. If you get locked in too low and wide, um, two things happen. And when I talk about low and wide, think of a goaltender, you get those legs spread out and you're kind of locked into that low, save puck is coming, save execution type stance. Two things. One, it's harder to find pucks around the perimeter as they get moved around because you're inevitably bringing yourself down to the level of the attackers in terms of your sight lines. Whereas Jacob can look over a lot of guys at six foot six. Two, if I'm low and wide, I reduce my mobility. So if my legs are as a goaltender are out wide, I need to use, if I need to move left, I push with my right skate. Right. And if I'm low and wide, I have to now, open up my left side and push with my right skate, but I don't have much extension left because I've already, I've already got it out there as far as I can versus having it underneath me, keeping my knees underneath me and being able to fully extend and make powerful pushes from a narrow stance that you just have more, you got more extension with that leg. You have more horsepower. You got more giddy up and go. You can get there faster, beat plays, beat passes, get set, and then find the next pass, find the next play. That's been a big part of his game. Um, that's changed here. I used to say it in his early years here. I'm like, like the puck went through him a ton, right? And it's because he didn't watch it. And people thought, like, come on, he's an NHL goaltender. You're out of your freak. What do you mean? You're an idiot. What do you mean he doesn't watch the puck? I'm like, watch it. Like, watch the video. Break down the video. Watch how many times he's late to a spot. The puck's on its way. He hasn't picked it up. And it's underneath his vision. And it goes through him. Um, video doesn't lie. And I'm not saying vindicated, but in Clark saw the same thing. And it was one of the first things they fixed here. So visual habits are better. Uh, he has a three stance system on the zone. You'll see him upright and then sort of a middle relaxed stance. And then when he gets locked in, that's when he's in that save execution mode. Um, Post play has dramatically improved here. Uh, you'll see him use it. He'll be like a how-to video on, on post play. Um, Ian Clark calls it the re- reverse tracking. Um, a lot of other goalie coaches will call it the double seal. Uh, we used to see it with Bobrovsky a lot in Columbus, uh, which is where Ian came from. Uh, some of the Swedish goaltenders had this already, but Jacob had to learn it over the past couple of years. When the play goes behind the net or when it's coming off a wing and coming down behind the net, he'll go into reverse VH on one side and then he'll actually sort of go into that sort of double seal mode where you will see a skate on each post. And he has the, he has the flexibility now because after starting, I remember his first year with Clark asking him like, like how exciting this must be. He had a really good finish for that first year. Like, and he's like, no, no, like wait till next year. Cause there's a whole bunch of stuff. And I knew it involved the off ice too, how we trained in terms of how his hips were able to move and, and open up range of motion in his hips that would allow him to take another step because there were things Ian wanted to teach that he just couldn't physically do. So he went home that summer and came back and then the next year. So he'll go in, like you'll see his pads like flat along the ice, basically one post to the other, one skate on each side. 
and his ability to sort of shift back and forth, get off those posts and boom, be back out to the top of his crease. It's like, you know, it's just like snap, snap. And again, it simplifies his game by putting him in a position where he's got coverage in the middle of the net on a play that's really tough for goalies, sharp angles and below the net. And then it allows him to sort of pick sides with vision and then get out and with early vision and back into set at the top of the crease. Like it just, it aids all his eyes and it aids all his movement and allows him to be better on a play that a lot of goalies are still trying to figure out. So those are the two major things to me that changed here uh, that you'll see in his game that, that other goalies in Calgary, frankly, don't have. I don't think Riddich has a double steal, um, you know, at least not as, uh, in terms of uh, some of the implementation of it, I'm, I'm thinking that's things like alignment and the way he uses it. Um, Jacobs, Jacobs, Jacobs just kind of a little more involved on that side of the game. And it's been a big part of his transition here the last couple of years. Very interesting. Um, how about uh, as far as weaknesses go, what do we need to watch out for? Um, uh, that's a tough one. Um Interestingly enough, I thought in the playoffs, like he didn't give up a sharp angle goal all season, uh, off the post integration stuff, off the sharp angle stuff. Um, in the playoffs, there were a couple. And so I don't know how much of that was just, a, I, I saw it as missed execution. I don't know how much of that was the injury um, because a lot of people, you guys may be unaware of this. I don't know how much he's talked about it. Like he didn't just come out in the Vegas series uh, because of the injury. He played through the injury pretty much the entire time in that playoff bubble. It was, sustain, it was sustained in a practice environment because the NHL didn't bother to put game pegs in the practice rink, which is freaking shameful. Um, the the net just basically came off as like beer league pegs, you know, the metal pegs just stick in the ground. You know, went to make went to make the push off the post, and rather than being able to move, the post gave up. Um, he played through that, and there's the other thing you'll find about Jacob. Like, uh, I don't want to say to a fault because this is what you want. That warrior mentality I talked about. Like he will play through stuff. Like he is not going to, it's going to take a real injury now. So does that become a weakness? Like, uh, has he missed time? Yeah. So is that a potential issue in a condensed season? Uh, you're going to have to manage his minutes. Coaches are going to have to be smart about not allowing him to play through something that could become worse. Um, you know, obviously the playoff bubble doesn't matter because your season's over when it's over and he was their guy. Um, but you'll have to manage that. The only other thing that I would say is, it's a fine line. He's always going to be a busy goaltender with his movement. Like as you'll see, there's like, there's a lot of sort of like the feet are kind of constantly moving. Um, and so to, like, he's not ever going to be like a super quiet looking goaltender um, in terms of just really sort of stationary and static and calm looking. There are times when he can get a little too busy, but I have, I almost struggle even, point that out as something to worry about or a weakness because it is part of his game it's something he manages but like everything in goaltending it's that's a real fine line between you know hey you're okay with a little extra movement and a little bit of things that make you feel good and and being too busy so those are the two things that uh i think you have to not worry about as a Flames fan but keep an eye on probably as a coaching staff and you know hey like like i said the canucks thought he would be he can be great through 35. That was their assessment. Like, I don't see this as a guy who's going to tail off in a couple of years because he's 30 now. Um, but injuries have been an issue over the past couple of years. He does put himself in extended save situations um, and he makes them, right? Like incredible athletic, like the type of saves that are, ga- are difference makers, inspire a team, deflate another team. Um, but some of them are contortionist in nature. And anytime you put your body in that 
sort of stressful the situation because you don't give up because there is no quit and the compete levels off the charts, all good things. Um, you also put yourself at higher risk for injury. Interesting. Well, and he, he hasn't had necessarily, you know, that high of a workload outside of the last two years <clears throat> of his career. Right. So maybe he has got that going for him too. It might be able to last a little longer. Yeah. A couple more. Um, the Flames kind of restructured their goaltending department. I know you guys on In Goal Magazine uh, got the chance to have them on your podcast, Jordan Siglet and Jason LaBarbera. Yep. Um, what can we kind of expect in terms of philosophy and rollout from from the goaltending department of the Flames this year, do you think? Well, I guess, I mean, I don't know how much changes uh, with Siggy, you know, still involved and still heavily involved. I, I like, I like, I like the, anytime you're adding people to the mix and don't forget Thomas Spear and the, uh, in the American league in the development role. Like there's a guy that um, I was aware of before they made that hire and it heard just nothing but really good things about uh, we're about to watch the world junior championships um, and, and Spencer Knight uh, with the, with team USA is one of the highest touted prospects there. And Thomas had, you know, had a role in his development through USA hockey and Spencer speaks very highly of him. So ne never want to forget about the role he plays. But in terms of at the top level um, with those two, I think it's just going to be really good to, I think the timing is perfect with the marks from signing. And I think that is part of why it's now. Um, Cause if you do this next year, then you're changing voices on Jacob. Now Jacob comes in and he gets to start with, with Jason right away. Um, you're not going to be asking him to, to go from Siggy to, to Barb's, you know, a year into his flames career. Uh, there'll be continuity there. Uh, both will be involved. But in terms of the day-to-day -day voice, that'll be Jason. So um, I don't know from a teaching standpoint, philosophy standpoint, uh, that you're going to change a ton in Jacob's game. Maybe there will. There's always fine details that you might suggest or add. Um, there are certainly some tracking things that Jason's ahead of in terms of the new mechanics of tracking uh, that he's worked on with Hockey Canada that he has a pretty good grasp on that tie in, actually, in, interestingly enough, to, to the changes Jacob has made. Uh, in terms of early eyes and vision and some of the habits that lead the body to move in a certain way rather than opening up in, 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 a, in a more compromised way that creates holes. Um, I just think it's a positive anytime you can have more voices. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jordan Sigalette and, you know, Jason LaBarber is another guy that every time I have a chance to talk to him, I learn new things about the position. And he's a guy that's been there, done that, which, which, which will help with Jacob as well. I just, I just think it's a positive. I, I don't know that I can give you a bunch of concrete, this is going to change type things. Um, and, and that's probably a good thing, right? Cause continuity is not, not net, not a bad thing to have in goaltending with consistently consistency and continuity are, are positives when it comes to talking about goaltenders. So I would definitely highly recommend everyone go listen to the conversation on the in goal radio podcast, uh, with, with Barb's and, uh, Jordan Siglet because I'm all about shameless plugs. Oh, totally. No, I started listening to it last night. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, last one from me, at least. I don't know if Jordan, you have more. Um, you did mention it, uh, the World Juniors. I mean, from a Flames fan perspective, we're really stoked about Dustin Wolf, um, even though he was such a later round draft pick. Um, what can you tell us about him? Um, what's something we can kind of watch out for in, in his game developing? Is there like some, again, maybe just like strengths and weaknesses if, if you've watched him a little bit? I think, yeah, I think they really believe, I know he's a late round pick, um, but they really believe that kid's going to play, that Dustin's going to play as a pro and in the NHL level. What's the ceiling? At what level? Is he going to be a number one? Is he, you know, does size mean there'll be a, a cap? I don't know. I don't know. But 
his movement, his down game, his movement along the ice, his tracking mechanics, tying actually to what uh, I was talking about with Jason LaBarbera. Uh, Dustin's goaltending coach, from, and, and Wolfie's a guy that we've had on the podcast as well. And so I don't know if Wayne fans had a chance to check that out, but we had a long chat with him. Um, you know, I think it was during the pause. And two things I like about him. Uh, one, like, I mean, there's a talent. There's a, well, actually, there's a bunch of things. I don't even know if I can do two. Okay, one, no stone unturned. I love no stone unturned, guys. Sometimes it can be to a fault. Eddie lacks a prime example, right? Like, I saw him have success here, and then he looked for all these other things to get better. And I watched him get better in the summers. Like, his movement improved. His efficiency improved. His access to his hands improved. I had other goalies watching him uh, practice in the summer up in Kelowna and be like, holy like that's a different what how, like oh my god he looks so good but it got into games and, and there was too much thinking i think at times um you know like you can become consumed by those changes so but i in general i like no stone unturned guys like dustin wolf uh siggy recommends a slide board wolf finds a slide board and when he can't get on the ice he's he's working with the slide board you all saw the drill after the draft or whatever where he's you know pushing around on that slide board finding ways to get better uh at ingle we found a uh it's it's a skilled ball machine. It's like it's actually for baseball. It shoots these little mini sort of golf ball sized foam baseballs out of this little batting machine. And we found it because Jake Allen used it in the off season to train his hands. And then Alfie Michaud, who's the goalie coach at, at University of Maine, used it. And all his goalies, Jeremy Swayman, another top prospect, he started using it. So we're like, wow, this sounds like a cool tool. So we did a story on it. And a bunch of them, they're reasonably priced, 59 bucks. It was a great tool, especially during that first pause. Kids can't play hockey. It was awesome. Tons of great feedback. Well, who was one of the first guys to, to reach out through his goalie coach and ask us, like, hey, is this legit for an elite-level goaltender? was Dustin Wolf, and he bought one. And so then he's using it with the slide board. He's sliding around the slide board, and this thing's randomly shooting balls at him. And you can get it depending on how close you put it, like up to 100 miles an hour just based on the distance. You know what I mean? Like it's coming at you so quick because it's so mm -hmm. close. And because the balls have uh, like a seam on them, like a rub, like, or an imitation of a seam, there's a little unpredictability mm -hmm. in terms of how it comes off. It's not the same spot every time. So that's just, just one example of this. This is a kid that's always going to try and find ways to get better. His passion burns to be great. Um, the other thing I like is that that competitiveness comes out on the ice. He doesn't get stuck in his technical box. So if you need desperation, he will go outside of his technique when desperation is required and make saves that leave you absolutely shaking your head. The compete level, again, translates off the ice onto the ice. And three, that technical foundation is elite. Um, I talked about the down game, the movement, the mechanics of tracking, the efficiency is his, in his game. And it starts um, with James Jensen, his goalie coach from California from a very young age. And Jenner, who is his goalie coach in Everett, uh, is the guy who works with a consultant that I know named Lyle Mass, who has also been involved at Hockey Canada, along with Jason LaBarbera. La so some of those mechanics, which are sort of the future of movement in goaltending and, and have kind of over the past couple of years become more commonly adopted. Wolf is on the ground floor of that. And Jason will have some of that in his repertoire as well, in terms of being able to sort of teach and bring those mechanics to goalies who haven't had that. But with Wolfie, you don't have to worry about it. He's already got it. So I like Spencer Knight's such a top prospect that yeah. he's the guy. Yeah. But I, I really wish we would get a chance to see Dustin, not just because his gear is really sick this year, <laughs> but because uh, I want to see him in that in that environment. And that's kind of the only thing missing is sort of 
you've seen what he does in the regular season, sort of that next step in those, those types of competitive environments. And that's all experience he'll get uh, over the next couple of years. But uh, I, I believe that path that, you know, and I believe the flames sincerely believe that, that that path ends up at the highest level in, in some form, what the ceiling is. I'm not sure, but he's, he's going to play. Yeah. He seems like, uh, he seems like he's going to be special. Like he seems like legit. Um, he's definitely, he's definitely legit. Okay, I got uh, final two questions for me. Where does Mark Markstrom rank for you in the Canadian division in terms of goalies? And um, ooh, ooh, ooh. you want to start with that? Uh, you guys don't. Well, you feel I gotta like I gotta, put you like, on the spot, eh? I got a I got a packing order. These guys. <laughs> Holy smoke! There was cool, a eh? TSN put out a tweet. They 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 had some analysts ranking the goalies in the division. So I just wanted your thought on it too. Well, two things. One, uh, I think that if you're ranking the team's goaltending this year, it's important to go one through three because I think you're going to need three. Um, if we're in a condensed schedule, one guy gets hurt, you're not in a situation where you just call a guy up or I guess from the taxi squad now or however you want to work your third goalie, and there will be some variations on that this year. Um, but you're probably not just going to call him up to sit on the bench because you can't roll the other guy out for four and six or whatever it's going to look like. You're going to need to spread it out. So if you lose one, you're going to have to play your three. I, I think you, for sure you're going to need that. Uh, and maybe a couple times. So if I were ranking teams, I'd, I'd need to look at, at the depth chart. If I'm ranking number one goaltenders right now um, in the Canadian division, oh, man. You guys are asking me to, like, like, like the top three are price. Hellebuck and Markstrom, like they're in that perfect statistically over the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, you know, you could make an argument for Markstrom. Uh, Hellebuck's obviously a deserving Vesna Trophy winner this mm-hmm. past season. Although when I look into the analytics, I think then like he deserved it, hundred percent, no questions asked, not saying anything otherwise. But when you look into the analytics, I think the narrative because they lost all their defense, and the narrative was they were terrible defensively, but his shot quality level graded out closer to Tukarask than it did Jacob Markstrom. Mm. Like the workload wasn't based on the actual shot quality. I get the story. I get the narrative. I get the names that they lost. And there's, there's no question, but the shot quality wasn't, you know, they buckled down a little bit defensively. Not, they weren't, you know, they weren't the 95 New Jersey devil. Don't get me wrong. Kellebuck had to bail them out and is a fully deserving Vesna winner, but it wasn't quite to the extreme that others painted. Um, so he's in that conversation and then Carey Price, I know a lot of people like to, you know, even, even coming out of the, into the playoff bubble, out of the pause, you know, cause there's a lot of, there, on one hand, there were stories about like, oh, what can arrested Carey Price do? And then the other people push back. Yeah. A lot of analytics people push back and said, well, he hasn't been, he hasn't been that Carey Price since he won the Vezna and the Art in 2015. Um, two things. We saw in the bubble what a wrestling carry price can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I pointed out at the time, using clear sight analytics, two years ago, there was only one goaltender in the NHL that saved more goals. And that was the guy who won the Vesna, Andre Vasilevsky. You could have made the argument. I would have made the argument that two seasons ago, Kerry should have been a Vesna finalist. So this narrative that he hasn't been that guy since 2015, is quite frankly, a bunch of crap. Um, he may not be hard trophy winning since then, um, but it hasn't disappeared. So I don't want to rank those three amongst each other. I'm probably always going to default to carry at the list, probably because there's that signed jersey over my shoulder, and we've had the pleasure of being on the ice with him many times. And I also refer to him as a human how-to DVD for goaltending uh, when it comes to movement and efficiency. 
So by default and by history, he would go atop those three. But it's those three. Then it's Freddie Anderson. Um, would not be surprised to see him have a much better season. Doesn't have the same defensive support as as some of the others. Um, but there was a change in his game. Some things that I'm not sure are public, but I'm aware of in terms of uh, the uh, focal points he went to during the pause. Again, another no stone unturned guy. He went back to some people he'd worked with before. He tried some new things between the years. Uh, and I liked his game in the bubble. A couple hiccups but like just basically two goals, but like a totally different goaltender in the bubble from the guy in the regular season who at times I didn't recognize he was all over the place. Um, who am I missing now? Edmonton? Uh. Yeah. Miko, Miko Koskinen actually on the same list that put Jacob Markstrom number one, and you guys would only have access to the top five because that's all they publish publicly. Yeah. Miko Koskinen slots in seventh in terms of save percentage above expected. Um, I don't know that he's a dominant number one in the conversation of a Markstrom uh, or a Price or a Hellebuck, but he's at times underrated for what he's actually done for the Oilers. He just needs to, obviously the playoffs were not good and they started the wrong guy for game one and it kind of went downhill from there, but uh, he's good Love too. To and, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, Calgary guys hating on the Battle of Alberta. Um, and then uh, I guess we got Ottawa. So, and, and Matt Murray, we talked about stance and changing stance. Matt Murray is a guy who had success in the NHL playing locked in low and wide. One, two Stanley Cups doing it because he's really good at other things. The game changed since he won the cup. The Penguins were one of the leading teams followed quickly by the Capitals at identifying the need to both prevent and create lateral chances as a key to success in the NHL in terms of preventing scoring from a defensive standpoint and creating offense um the other way uh caps did it the following year and won a cup everybody else is now caught up everybody is attacking east west on goaltenders you cannot play consistently in the nhl as a goal if you can't move if you're locked in low and wide um too wide too soon um is is a problem for nhl goaltenders and matt murray has been too wide too low too soon for too long that is a change that I believe they're already working on in Ottawa on making. And he will, because of all the other things that had us comparing him to Ken Dryden just a few years ago, he will make those adjustments and be better for it. I don't know if it, if you see the results out of the gate, cause it's a big change. Um, but to write him off as a goaltender would be a mistake as well. Maybe to write the check they did, you could argue was a little extreme in terms of the pay, but pedigree said that's what he was going to get. So rather than just giving it to him uh, in arbitration for one year and then losing him, they decided to commit to it for a few. And I think part of that is knowing that if he, that he wants to is willing to make these changes. And that if he does, you're going to get somebody who closer resembles uh, that rookie that, that won those two Stanley cups um, than what we've seen over the past couple of years. So um, it's easy to put Ottawa at the bottom of this list right now, but I don't expect them to be there for long. Cool. Yeah, the Canadian division is going to be interesting. I mean, last season we had a whole bunch of player swaps with the Edmonton Oilers, and we had to wait till January to 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 see them match up. It's kind of a similar situation with Vancouver picking up four of their their players in the off season. So um, seeing them for ten games should be interesting. I think my, my final question for you, we just did a podcast on uh, the expansion uh, draft coming up. Yep. What, what do you think the chances are that uh, Riddick gets picked by, by Seattle? 
Oh, that's a really good question. I really don't know. I guess it would depend on whether what they see in out of him this year. We've seen him play at a number one level. It's in him. He's capable. He's done it for half seasons. Um, he's done it for a little bit longer a couple of times. Um, you know, certainly some of those numbers in terms of what it looks like when the score's tight, when the score's close, do those change? Um, and basically what else is available? Not just from other teams. Yeah. I mean, if Braden Holtby has a, a resurrection here in Vancouver under Ian Clark, he's going to be an option. Uh, Corey Crawford, although older, because a lot of people forget, like, that's the thing, like, like, Crow's 35, right? Like, uh, and I think he'll be 36 this season. Like, Holtby's like Markstrom. He's only 30. People, like, for some reason, people associate Holtby with being older. So that might check the box in his favor. But these are all guys that have signed to two-year deals that are going to be available in expansion that, are, you know, ha- have it either in them or in Crawford's case. Frankly, he's shown it others outside of getting hurt. He's been really good behind a really bad defensive team in Chicago for you know, number of years now. So it will depend not only on whether they see better options elsewhere, but also what else they could get off that team. So in other words, if Vancouver has nothing else to offer Seattle and hope he's their best pick, but Calgary has something else is that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, yeah. yeah, we need, we, we like our defense or we like our forward options out of Calgary better than we do out of Vancouver. So we'll take Holpe and that means we're, you know, so it's a yeah. pretty, obviously a really complex formula that I, I have no, I'm privy to none yeah. of the information there, but uh, Hey, I used to think Kerry was going to end up there for sure. Like I thought that was my, he was my Marc-Andre Fleury to Vegas pick with Kerry Price to Seattle. Um, wife's family's from there outdoors guy who takes his kids down the coast of Oregon every off season. Like, like the anonymity would be nice after having none of it and basically no ability to live a life in Montreal. Like I thought that might be possible. Um, but I think the way he's playing in Montreal and the way they've set themselves up um, to have him be the guy mean, means that unlike that, that's a lot more unlikely now, but who knows, who knows what, what, what this conversation looks like. Like we're going to have like, everybody's like, Oh my God, goaltending musical chairs this summer. And it was right. Yeah. Like it was crazy. It is every summer, but it was just bigger names this year. Yeah. Dude, go take a look at the list of names for next year. Really? Like a lot of these guys, there's a ton of UFAs. Musical chairs is going to key right up on what is it? July 23rd for free agency next year, the 25th 28th. musical chairs is going to be off the charts. Yeah, there you go. Thank you for the correction. 28th. It'll be off the charts. Musical chairs once again uh, for goaltending. And even all these big names that signed only on two-year deals and with expansion looming, like I think you're just going to see just as much movement, um, which is probably why Markstrom wanted the security, right? Uh, this is the future for NHL goaltenders. And frankly, at the ex- risk, I always say it's at the risk of my goalie union card. I think they're going to come take my goalie union card away every time I say it. If I'm a GM, the one thing I avoid with goaltenders is term. Yeah. Right? Because... Matt Murray's example, one of many, like the game changes and your team changes and your coaches change and goalie a doesn't always fit. Like it's not always going to be the same strengths that matter. Not term in terms of how your team plays in terms of how the league plays in terms of the changes game changes too fast. Goaltending evolves too fast. Um, so it's always a risk to lock a guy in long-term it exists with Markstrom. I just think to a lesser extent than some other guys, because his ability to outperform his environment um, was 
was so good the past couple of years. So uh, it's not like a Bobrovsky situation where when you really looked at it, um, he went from a top five defensive environment to a bottom three. Um, Markstrom's already played in a bottom five defensive environment and has success. And I think he'll be just fine in Calgary. Awesome. Awesome stuff. I think that's a good place to wrap up. Um, we really appreciate you taking some time with us today. So you're, you're on Twitter. It's Kevin is in goal in goal magazine. You're right for NHL.com anywhere else people can find you. Yeah, no, I uh, did. Uh, that's probably it. I definitely, cause I'm all about shameless plugs and, uh, I, I co-own the business. Definitely. If you're a goalie, check out ingoalmag.com. Um, if you're not a goalie, probably don't, uh, because it's just for goalies. But honestly, if you got, if we got young goalies that listen to this podcast, um, you know, we have teaching from NHL goalie coaches. Uh, we have some stuff from, from Cam Talbot and Jordan Sigalet last year where I filmed the drill and they walked me through the keys to it. Uh, every week we have something called pro reads where we do a video session. We do like a zoom call like this. Um, or in, 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 in days of yore, we actually went into the locker room with the video, sat down with NHL goalies and they broke down the video for us, why they play a situation a certain way. Like this, what am I looking for here? He's coming down the wall. Are his passing options one-timers? Are they left-handed? Are they right-handed? At what point do I go into reverse VH? When do I hold my feet? Like those types of things. NHL goalies walk us through a video session every week called Pro Reads. And uh, I've had other NHL goalie coaches and coaches all over the league say that it's a great tool for kids to learn how to read the game. And so shameless plug, if you've got a young goaltender in your world and you hear this and you haven't already, shame on you, but make sure you check out ingoalmag.com. Cool. Oh, man. Awesome. Insights were great. Thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Good shit. Um, Kevin Woodley, again, you can find him. I, I, I agree. If you're, a, if you're a goaltender, I don't know if we have goaltenders listening to this. I know um, one person for sure I can share this with an aspiring goaltender, but um, very cool information. Again, a lot of this technical stuff, right? Unless you're a goalie, you, you probably, like, I don't really understand i didn't understand a quarter of what he was saying with the technicality <laughs> stuff but um regardless i think there's some pretty cool insights into jacob march from the player especially from an analytical standpoint like that one stat that he talked about um how he was top in the league like um, low danger was, shots low, low danger, danger shots saves, yeah because like not really, allowing back-breaking goals because really as a flames fan that's been like david riddick took over from mike smith at just being brutal at allowing backbreaking goals just like fuck well and, and again one, like that, that goes back to elliot too right to yeah and i mean literally it's been since kippersoft that's been an issue so yeah. um very a very interesting viewpoint because that's not even something that he might be privy to as we are as calgary flames fans and how that's been an issue for us in the past but he brought it up uh, um just as a strength of markstrom anyways so well i thought the cool. comparison to like bobrovsky was interesting because it was like that was my concern with signing Markstrom. It was like, wow, you, you've seen so many examples of like goalies getting big ticket deals in UFA and then they suck. And he was like, well, that's because Bobrovsky's going from a really strict defensive system to yeah. one that was like, geez, he's just like getting all these shots all the time, high danger chances. Yeah. And it's like, that's why you can explain the fall off. It's like Markstrom is coming from a place where they allowed a lot of quality shots to a place where the, the defense is better and their structure is better. So that was interesting. I thought him talking about how Markstrom, he thinks Markstrom is one of the guys who could actually give you value on a long-term deal. Yeah. 
I know the yeah. injuries are a concern, but the fact that the way he plays might be conducive to him, you know, living out his contract in, in, in a better way than we might've expected. that was interesting. And I yeah. think the most interesting thing was him talking about Riddick too, right? Like it, it's interesting hearing Verste- what Versteeg had to say. And then Woodley kind of backing that up is like, Riddick is an undervalued guy here now, maybe. And we can maybe expect him to be good this year in his role. Yeah. I think him in a backup role, we already know he's an excellent backup goaltender. So given the fact that he got so much more experience last year to become better, given the one number one spot, maybe he's just destined to be an excellent top tier backup goaltender in the league. Um, I'm kind of, I kind of, I would rather see a, a full season of a tandem with Markstrom and Riddick. Obviously, yeah. the shortened season, we're not going to get that. Even though, what is it, 65 games? 56? 56. So that's 56. what, two thirds? I mean, it's still a decent length of a season, but obviously, it's just nothing's going to compare to that, yeah. that grind of 82. Um, yeah, I think the final kind of closing thought on the, the very interesting thing that he brought up about Markstrom as a whole fitting into the Calgary Flames system, uh, you alluded to it. And, as, and it is another interesting perspective of how goaltenders, like you said, Bobrovsky, um, going from one system to another that doesn't really suit him. Whereas Kevin is, he seems pretty confident that Markstrom is going to do well in this flame system, and hopefully for the next few years. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. The other thing, the one last thing for me that I found super fascinating was like talking about the Bill Peters system thing. Yeah. That was interesting, you know, like the fact that, you know, um, a, a team that like Bill, the, the low danger chance allowance, like letting guys shoot from places and talking, because generally that's like, you know, like he was saying, like those, those Carolina teams and uh, like coaches like Bill, their teams always win the possession battle, right? Because they, yep. they throw everything on net and they don't allow anything from the outside, like everything's to the outside. Um, I thought that was really interesting perspective because as like an analytics guy who always watches for like, oh, who won the Corsi battle? It's like, that's interesting coming from a goaltender. It's like, no, we want some shots. We need some shots, right? Yeah. Interesting. All right. So, I mean, it, it seems like, I don't know, where are you at with this whole Markstrom thing? Just as a closing thought, because I know that you and I, we were both hoping to, to acquire another top six forward. It, it, that's basically addressing, you know, our perspective of the, the team's dire need. And instead we go out and get a number one goaltender who is, is top of the league. Um, there's a, I mean, you could argue he's top five, top 10 for sure in goaltending uh, currently speaking. Um, but it's funny because maybe it's just due to where we are in terms of what we, what we feel this team needs, but I don't think neither of us are really that excited. We're probably not, we're probably not as excited as we should be every once in a while. I have to, you know, remind myself that dude, we got Markstrom. Like, yeah, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. Regardless of what the deal is. Um, so yeah, where are you at with it? And I don't know, talking to Kevin, it just seems to kind of reiterate that, this is this might be cool that we have a, a solid number one goaltender. I'm pretty excited to see what he does this season and onwards. Yeah, totally. I think I think I get the enthusiasm is just a little is curbed just because like we've been so wanting a top six forward so bad, you know. Um, 
but like I keep thinking like I, I don't know it's just with goaltending being so unpredictable it's it's hard for me to just get like yes finally it feels more it feels more kind of like maybe relieving than it does exciting you know yeah. it's like oh we have Markstrom as opposed to yes fuck yeah we got like uh, if, if you get Mark somebody Stone. like Mark Stone and you're like fuck yes it's kind of like oh we got Markstrom solid you know yeah so right. we'll still have to see how it plays out, but I agree. We should maybe be more excited. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed the the, the interview with Kevin. And, um, man, I just can't wait. We're, we're, we're basically a couple weeks away from, from hockey starting. I'm Corey Crenshaw. I'm Richie Suave Flores. And this is Sporty with Corey and Richie Suave. On the Hockey Podcast Network. What? did i just listen to oh this game this game is this game is just bullshit now oh my gosh i actually they actually made me feel uncomfortable what was it panty what the game has gone to bullshit panty melted why do we record these during the middle of games oh god be sure to listen to Corey and i every monday we are your go-to source for the arizona coyotes on the hockey podcast network